So good to be here. How you doing? You all right? Yeah. Good. As Pete said, I'm the intergalactic overlord of prayer for 20... No, I'm not really. Uh, my, I'm the international prayer director for an organization called 24-7 Prayer that has spread throughout the globe. My opportunity and my joy is to travel and to encourage and bless the church as we seek to see it encounter God. We're very much about prayer, mission, and justice. That idea that we don't just pray, but we do mission as well, like breathing in and breathing out. We breathe God in in prayer, but we breathe him out in mission. So this kind of sense of connectedness to both, that both prayer and mission have is a phenomenal thing. And I just get the joy to go and share that around the world. I also have a, a, I do a day a week at a place called Lambeth Palace where I work for the Archbishop of Canterbury on, a, on an initiative called uh, Thy Kingdom Come, which is also all about prayer and mission, asking that God would send his spirit to empower the church to greater works of evangelism. So that's my day job, but actually that's my life because I believe wholeheartedly, completely in encounter. My wife and I, Tracy, here. We've been married 27 years. Uh, I know you're thinking, how? But anyway, so we've been married 27 years, and uh, we we planted a work in Ibiza, which is very much about encounter, about taking taking God out onto the streets. I don't know if any of you have ever been there. Maybe you're a bit embarrassed to admit it, but we, we really genuinely believed in seeing people encounter God on the streets of Ibiza. We would pray with people. We would just see God show up. And so we, we, that started, that's up and running. I actually just had a text from one of our team members out there. This summer in Ibiza, they've led 12 people to Jesus. They've, they've taken over 600 people home in a thing we call the vomit van. You know, cause, uh, yeah, I mean, it is what it says on the label. <laughs> Don't let me give you too many details. Um, so, yeah, that, that's kind of that's what we do. And so I, I, that's just the joy of my life. We live in Norfolk now, and I get to travel all around the world. And it's beautiful, this sense that we're, you know, if you're new to London or you're new here, that we're part of this family. Yeah. Uh, we were in Malaysia, and we were in Borneo, actually, which is part of, you know, Malaysia's part of Borneo. And we were up in the rainforest. We went out to a little longhouse, and there's a whole, a whole tribe of ex-headhunters. And we're, you know, we're there praying, worshiping. It was no different to you guys just praying and worshiping 10 minutes ago. That the kingdom of God is extending throughout the globe. People are getting saved in Ibiza. Headhunters are praising Jesus in the rainforest. And here you are in London. Same church. God is good and we're all part of that. And so I'm excited to see people encounter God and see people come to church and encounter God. What does encounter look like? It's a good word, isn't it? Encounter means to meet someone. I think encounter looks like this. A little image here for you. I have actually doctored this painting by Michelangelo. You can see my bit and you can see Michael's bit. Uh, uh, this, is, this is encounter. This is, this is a beautiful, I think, visual image of encounter. This is Michelangelo's The Creation of Adam. It's on the Sistine Chapel, painted about 1809. The whole Sistine Chapel took about four years, but believe it or not, Michelangelo painted this in four weeks. I know you're thinking, if you're doing history of art, you're probably going to eat me for dinner. And did I come here for an art lecture? Just bear with me. Okay, so here we have a beautiful picture of what encounter looks like. God stretching, yearning to connect with man. God is relentless in his pursuit of man. I've got this joy and it won't let go. We were just singing. God won't let go. He pursues us. He wants to come into connection with and encounter with each one of us. In fact, if you look at this picture, it, the, the red canopy is the, the some... Uh, 
scientists, biologists, I don't know, the people who do brains, say it's the, it's the dissection, the exact dissection of a brain. So uh, it's like all of God's thoughts, his mind, his, 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 it's turned towards you, his knowledge. He's holding back. They say that he, the woman he's holding back is Eve. He's about, and there's another line of thought that talks about the uterine mantle. It's like a uterus. There's something being birthed there. You know, but it's a beautiful picture of God encountering uh, man and the birth of Adam, the creation of Adam. It says that, it said that Michelangelo actually was really inspired by a 9th century Latin hymn that said, Vini Creator Spiritus, come Creator Spirit. And so that, and there's a line in there that talks about the digiti, dexterni, paterni, the, the, the finger of God coming down and touching and giving the faithless speech, the faithful speech. So there's this picture, this beautiful image, this is what we're talking about tonight, is encountered. God wants to come and encounter with us. He, he wants to come and touch our lives, but not just once. It's an ongoing, regular thing. So what does encounter look like? Well, if you were to read Genesis 3, verse 8 to 9, it's a really beautiful picture of encounter. This is the, 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 the Genesis, this is from Genesis, and here we have... Adam and Eve. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Or some people say, where art thou? And so we have this picture that was how it was meant to be. The uh, reflexive conjugation of the Hebrew verb would mean that, that God wanted to walk for pleasure. Encounter is about God enjoying you, walking for pleasure with you. And it would also suggest that it was a regular occurrence. I I, I once heard someone say that God's primary expression towards you is a smile. God's primary expression towards you is a smile. And so he wants to come and he wants to walk and he wants to talk and he wants to encounter you in the garden, in the cool of the day, it said, when the work is done. When, you know, you can imagine, it says they were listening for God's footsteps. Genesis 3, just look at it, it's beautiful. They were listening for his footsteps, which kind of implies a certain stillness. Psalm 46, verse 10 says, be still and know that I am God. The Franciscans monks call that the gateway to prayer, stillness. And so you imagine Adam and Eve, they're still, they're quiet, they're nervous, they've sinned. But primary before that, they were still, they were quiet. And they're, is he coming? Is he coming? Is he coming? And God comes and he walks with them for pleasure. And that's what encounter looks like. That's what God wants. He wants to walk with each one of us. His desire is relationship. Encounter that leads to relationship. You know, we all have encounters. Some of them are random. Do you know what I mean? You have an encounter. I had an encounter with a car once. Do you know what I mean? I, I drove into it. Do you know what I mean? I had an encounter with a pavement once. I fell off the roof of a house and landed on the floor. You know, it was, an, it was a weird encounter. Do you know what I mean? We have all sorts of encounters. We meet random people, and it's like a moment in time. But we have these other encounters where we meet someone, and we end up having a relationship with them. We meet someone at university, at work, or wherever we are, and we, we're, there's a friendship that develops, an encounter that leads to relationship. When I first met my wife, Tracy, I thought she's, she's given, I don't know if this ever goes on in church anymore, right? I know I, it was, this is way back when life was black and white, right? And there she was looking at me. She was, about, she, was on, she was at the front playing saxophone in the worship. And I was like, 
she's given, I don't know if this, this is me sounding like, my, I've got two sons, right? And they're like, Dad, you're just, you're just old. So I'm just going to keep going with this. And so there she is looking at me, and I think, she's giving me the eye. I'm like, okay. I put on my best worship face. You know I mean? She's in the worship team. She needs to know. Do you know what I mean? She needs to know I'm a worshiper. So I was like, super screwed up. Do you know the one? Oh, Jesus. I'm not saying anybody's ever faked a worship face. I had this moment once, no, I'm not going to tell you that story. And so there she is, and she's looking at me, and I'm looking at her, and, we, and, and I think, afterwards I found that she's short-sighted. She can't see further than Pete. And I was at the back. I just totally misread the signals, but it worked out okay. Here we are, 27 years later, two children, and God is good. But it was an encounter that changed my life. And God wants to encounter you, and it's not just a one-off. Do you understand? He wants to continually encounter with you. In fact, he wants to walk and talk with you through every part of your life, every aspect of your life. And so here we are talking about what does redemption sound like. Well, for me, redemption sounds like an encounter with the living God, a relationship with the living God. And I don't know where you're at, but I'm going to tell you my story. I don't know if you've heard my accent here, but I'm originally from Ireland. I was born... Woo, there's two of us. It's good. When there's two of us, we can have a fight now and would win. <laughs> Sorry. And so, uh, <laughs> and so, so I, was, I grew up, I grew up in a really good home. My dad and my mum, they both went to Bible college. My dad was a pastor. I've got four brothers. You know, you know I grew up like in a kind of like, it was Northern Ireland, and we moved to England in, in 1981 before, you know, years and years back. And we, when we got to England, my dad had got a church here, and life was really good. We had an apple tree in the back garden and a study. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was, it was lovely, and it was, you know, it was, it was just idyllic. Apart from, like, people taking the mickey out of the way, people laughing at the way I spoke, my strange accent, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, but it was, it was, that was a minor difficulty. We moved to England, and England was beautiful. It's actually about five or six degrees warmer in the south of England than it is in Ireland. So you can imagine, that feels like a lot. <laughs> All right. So there we were in England. Uh, in, I, was, I was about 11 years old. Went to my, and my mother contracted uh, ovarian cancer, cancer of the womb. She got it in the January and she died in the March. Now, my parents were Christians and they really believed that God was going to heal her. So I can see this in, in hindsight. It's interesting, but right then I didn't really understand this. They thought if they didn't tell us and she got healed, it'd be great. They didn't want to worry us. So I got home from school one day after being out of a couple of friends, sat down in my dad's study and told, your mum's died. First time I knew of it. Didn't know she was ill. Mum's died. And I, I spiraled into a sense of trauma uh, that back then it was a very different world than today. I remember going back to school after my mum died. The headmaster sat me down. He gave me a custard cream, which is a small biscuit, and some orange squash. And he said, are you going to be okay? And I went, yes. And that was it. Okay, that was it. That was my trauma counselling right there. Back into school, off you go. So I was, I, but I had this real sense of uh, disappointment with God, anger with God, annoyance with God. I was still going to church, but I started to feel this kind of battle, this internal strife starting to go on. God, you killed my mum. You killed my mother. And this battle just kept going, and we changed churches, and we started going to a charismatic kind of church, a bit like yours, you know, where there was lots of prayer ministry. And quite often, I'd go out the front, and I'd go and meet with this God, and I'd feel his spirit, and I'd think he's touching me, and then I'd remember he killed my mom. You know, and then, or I'd be on like a, a, a Sunday night, and it'd be really cool, and it'd be really brilliant, and I'd get right into God, and he'd touch my life, and then on Monday morning, it just became incredibly difficult to outwork that. 
And so I started to struggle. I struggled at school. I started, a friend of mine offered me uh, uh, some marijuana one day, uh, uh, some marijuana to smoke before I went into school, and I started to smoke it. And I found it kind of calmed me down, but it also blackened my mind, which meant I could sleep. And so I started to get into drugs, and before you know it, it became a pretty regular habit. Uh, when I, I, was, I was an A-star student, I was meant to, you know, do great things. I was going to, you know, all this kind of stuff. And by the time I was 18, by the time I was 17, I was expelled from sick form. I was expelled from college, told to leave. I stand before you today as a man of absolutely no qualifications, okay? God does not call the qualified. God qualifies the called, yeah? So, uh, and, and, but please, if you're at college, work hard. <laughs> I've got two sons, they've both been to uni. I said, don't do it my way. It's a bit, you know, so, but, so there I was, messed up, expelled from school, ended up just slipping further and further, started to try and sell drugs, ended up just in this kind of dark place, friends that weren't helpful. They were good, but they weren't helpful. And eventually, the tug of these two worlds, you know, the, the world of the party and the drugs and the kind of wildness and the world of the church, they just became incompatible. And I made this choice, I'd go that way. I chose the dark side. I went down that journey. And so by the time I was 18, I was homeless, living in a car, sleeping in, sleeping rough, all sorts of things like that. Broken, in a mess, lonely, struggling. And eventually I ended up in prison. So I, I, went, I went to to prison four times as a young man for very, from like lots of different like things to do with stealing money and being angry so fights and things like that so I ended up in prison and life wasn't good but here was the thing my dad was a Christian and he always prayed for me every single day so I get into prison first time in prison first ever cell group is that not funny? <laughs> see it's a dad joke it's right there isn't it? and so I get, so I get into prison this guy, you're all like, don't make light of it, Brian. It's traumatic. It was seriously traumatic. I get into prison, and so and I step into this room with a guy, and you don't choose your cellmate. You don't get like a choice. Which one do you prefer? You don't choose your cell. You just get put in it. So I get put in this cell, door shuts. You're 23 hours a day, lock up. You get out for one hour a day, okay? And so you're in there, and the guy turns to me and he goes, I've just become a Christian. Do you know anything about God? I'm like, oh my goodness, can I not just get away? God is relentless. He desires encounter. You know, he doesn't let you go. There's a book by a guy called Vincent Donovan called Christian Re- Christianity Rediscovered. It says, the Maasai used to hunt the lion, and then one day they realized the lion was hunting them, that God was looking out for them. God was chasing them down. And so I get into this prison cell, and this guy's a Christian, and he's like, I can't get away. It's like, do you know what I mean? It's just, the prison cell's the size of a large double bed. You, but you'd spunk beds, you, know, you, don't, you don't share beds. And, and then there's a little bit at the side, so you can't get away from the guy. And then I, I get a, a lawyer, he's a Christian, Christian lawyer. And I, I didn't choose my lawyer, because that was illegal aid. Then I have a probation officer, he's a Christian, Christian probation officer. And it's like, everywhere I go, God is haunting me. He will not let me go. Everywhere I go, he's haunting me. I don't know if you feel like that. You've tried to get away, but he follows you around. That's good. It's good. God will not let you go. And so there I am with this Christian probation officer, Christian cellmate, Christian lawyer, soon to become the three most significant people that I spent any time with in my life, all Christians. And my dad's there and he's praying. And every time he comes to see me when I'm in prison, do you know what he sees? Just broken Brian. 
I don't say, oh, by the way, I'm in with a Christian. By the way, my lawyer's a Christian. I just, you know, didn't want to worry him or get his hopes up. <laughs> Seriously, you know. So he just kept praying. And uh, once I, I breached my bail when I was in probation hostel, and then my probation officer came into the... And breaching bail means I stayed out late. I, you get out for a bit. I stayed out late, had a few drinks, missed the bus home. Breach your bail means you go straight back to prison. So I went to a holding cell before they, you know, just for one extra drink, ended up going back to prison. So I'm in this holding cell. My probation officer comes in. He looks at me and he went, he threw something at me. It slapped me on the chest. It was a Bible. He went, you should read that, Brian. Then he walked off, never saw him again. I don't know if it's in a manual for probation hostel, (laughs) probation officers, anything like that. But it was like, God is relentless. God is relentless. God desires encounter and relationship with each one of you. And he will not let you go. And that's not like because he's a divine stalker. It's because genuinely he loves you. You are his creation. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. He created you for relationship. You were born to walk with him. You were made to be with him. You were made to journey with him. You were made never to feel alone. You are made to be welcome into the embrace of the Father. Therefore, he's not going to let you go. He loves you. He loves you. He has grace for you. Unrelenting grace upon grace upon grace upon grace for each one of you. And so I'm there, and I get out again. I'm in a probation hostel. My life at that point, as you can imagine, started off really well. Bright student, lovely family. Here I am, four times in prison, absolute mess. I'm sitting on the end of my bed. I'm reading the Bible that someone had given me. No, I'm not reading it, actually. It's just sitting next to me. Here it is, by the way. I brought it with me from 1990. I've read it a lot since, you know, but uh, I've got other ones now as well. And... uh, I dug it out last night just to remind myself of what that felt like to open that Bible. And uh, I remember just praying, saying, God, if you're real, save me. If you're real, save me. Can I just say, when you get real with God, God will get real with you. When you get real with God, God will get real with you. I'm in a mess. I'm crying. My life is all over the show. I said, God, if you're real, will you save me? And then I threw the Bible open. I dropped it open on my bed. And just like, speak to me. I've tried it since. It doesn't always work. But right then, you know, like I did it once before, and it was like, don't boil a goat in its mother's milk. Like, thanks. Uh, no, but at that, that moment, I dropped it. And I went, God, speak to me. And the words there were Isaiah 59, verse 1, which said, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor is his ear too dull to hear. And it was like God became present. It was like he was there in the room, like he became alive and real and living. There's a beautiful word. We talk about the glory of God. It's the, the kabod, the heaviness of God. It felt like this heaviness, this beautiful, warm heaviness came upon me, not in a depressive way, but a joyful, secure, loving feeling surrounded me. And it came directly from God himself through his word saying, surely my arm is not too short to save. Surely I hear you. And at that moment, I knew that God was an interventionist God, a God who reaches in and changes, a God who reaches in and transforms. And right then, I remember him saying, because you remember I'd been to church loads and come out and got saved regularly. I remember God just said to me, how long this time, Brian? How long this time? And here's what I said. 20 years old, in a probation hostel in Ipswich, I said, I will give you the rest of my life. I will give you the rest of my life. I don't know where you are right now, but I believe that that is a question that God is still asking. And he is looking for people who will say, I will give you the rest of my life. 
You know the best thing you could ever say to God is yes, yes, yes. He is not a mercenary. He's not going to destroy you. He's just going to take you on an adventure. Helen Keller once said that life is either a daring adventure or nothing. When we say yes to God, he takes us on adventure. So I said yes. It took me a while to get my life together. It took me a while to get sorted out. But one of the things that happened was, as I read this Bible, as it impacted my life, there was also people around me. There was a beautiful couple who lived in Norfolk. They used to be my youth workers at Essex. They said, come and live with us. They, they opened their home to a guy from prison. They were radically hospitable. God will call some of you to be radically hospitable. Here's what I've learned about that. If you want to one day own a big house where you have loads of people, you need to start inviting people around your small house. If you one day want to have loads of people sleeping over and you want bedrooms and en-suites, get them sleeping on your sofa. You know, there's a beautiful thing in Exodus chapter 4 where God says, use what you've got in your hand. And so they all they did, they moved their daughters in together and they brought me in and they brought me into their home and they showed radical hospitality. It was a normal little house that was opened up to a broken person and I found healing with people. And then they took me to church because that makes sense. You know, because church isn't just about like where I go to get entertained. Church is actually the body of Christ where the broken find healing, where where, where the lost find friends where the fatherless find a father, where the motherless find a mother, where we come into a sense of family. And so there I was, in, and there's something beautifully redemptive about church. And on your journey, don't be like, oh, I didn't get anything out of the worship today. Don't consume, because we weren't worshiping you anyway. Yeah? Or, oh, I'm not being fed. You know, you get to a certain point where you can listen to a podcast, you can feed yourself. Do you understand? There's a, there's, a, there's a degree, pick up a knife and fork and feed yourself. I'm not being hard, I'm just saying. Do you, do you know what I mean? But church primarily exists for the least, the last, and the lost. You are called to welcome, to open your arms, to bring people in, to make them feel whole. To, to help people find Jesus and to help them grow in it. And do you know the beauty in that? As you welcome people in, you find Jesus in you growing. As you express grace to others, grace grows in you. As you, you know, we would often pick up these drunk people in Ibiza. And the, part, the beautiful thing about it in the end, it was just worship. Worship. Worship and cleaning someone up. God is so gracious, isn't he? He cleans me up time and time again. We need to learn that. That's what church is about. It's about bringing those in. So what you're part of here is beautiful because people find wholeness, healing, restoration, and joy. And so redemption comes as in the form of community. So I started to grow as a Christian. I struggled a bit, and I still do, with imposter syndrome. I don't know if you ever had that. Basically, it means if people really knew what I was like. So now I just tell everyone. <laughs> you know? But at best, you know, bring it out into the light. Bring your darkness out into the light. But you, you, you will often have imposter syndrome. I do now. You know, like I, like I stand in front of you and say, I don't have any qualifications. And I'm like, oh, no, should I be saying that? You know, it's the devil in my ear. You know, you're not good enough. If only everybody knew, if only everybody could read your search history. Do you know what I mean? All that kind of stuff. It, it's all there. God, he's there. He's chipping away and he's saying, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good. It's the devil. It's not God. God knows every single thing about you and he still loves you. 
He thinks you're amazing. His primary expression towards you is a smile. He wants to connect with you, and he wants to walk with you in relationship. And so even though I occasionally suffer from imposter syndrome, I, you have to realize that God still loves me. I'm shy. I know you wouldn't think that. Here's the weird thing about speaking. There's a kind of barrier here. Do you know what I mean? I'm up on my own. It's a weird one. So I don't, then one of my other great fears is going into a room with a load of people I don't know. Hello. <laughs> it's like what I do, you know. It's, it's mental. But uh, it's, really, it's, 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 it's beautiful as well, you know. So God is like that. Don't suffer from imposter syndrome because it's very, very often it's not God. Actually, always it's not God. Okay, And then here's the other interesting thing is, as I went into church, after about six months, I became the children's worker. I found myself going from prison as, as a children's worker in a church. It was super good. I love kids. I was really good at children's work. I used to work in prison in a probation hotel. With, with, I was worked in a play group and helped kids. I found I had a, I liked it. I, was, I really enjoyed it. I liked them. I liked their madness and their randomness and, you know what I mean, and their creativity. They kind of get squashed sometimes as they get older. I just loved it. And so I became the children's worker. Then I became the youth worker in the church. So I was like the youth worker. And, you know, oh, and, and Tracy and I, we met. We got married. Beautiful thing that happened, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> no, do you know, and so we, all of that and all this kind of stuff happened. And eventually I became the senior pastor of the church that I joined from prison. You have to understand that God can redeem people, not just so that we can sit comfortably and feel better about ourselves, but he redeems us to call us into our destiny and into purpose. You know, your redemption will lead you to fulfill everything he's called you to be. You know, and so God called me to leadership. And so eventually I ended up being a leader because that's who God was. Despite all the nonsense that went on in the background, God dealt with that and brought me into all I was meant to be. In church, there's a beautiful uh, line, and it's not a line, it's a Bible verse. Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good work, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I kind of like that word handiwork, but it's a little bit too utilitarian. It kind of makes it a bit mechanistic. So when you look at the Greek, that word handiwork is poema, poema, which is where we get our word poem. Poetry. You are God's poetry. How does that sound? You are his masterpiece, his work of art, his beautiful thing. Michelangelo, who painted that picture, it was once said he carved this beautiful statue. And someone said, how did you carve that beautiful statue? And he went, I saw an angel in the marble and I carved until I set him free. And God looks and he sees all that you're called to be, all that you're destined to be. And because he is relentless in his pursuit of relationship, he carves away and he grows you and he builds you and he develops things in you. And all of a sudden you find that this life that you put your hand up and said yes to, you look over your shoulder and you think, how did I get here? You got there because God is good, because he carves stuff out of your life. He knocks off the edges as you go along. The thing is, I couldn't be like this straight away. God works, takes us on this journey. This journey of redemption. And it could be guilty for just thinking, hey, it's all the, all the externals. I've got, you know, I married a wife, I've got a job, I've got two sons, had a house. That's, that's, the lo- that's not even it. The reality is this. I learned about forgiveness. One of the most beautiful things you could learn to do is to forgive yourself. Yeah? To learn to forgive yourself. I often feel guilty for some of the things I did. And they have to learn to forgive yourself. I also learned peace. 
One of the most beautiful things we have as Christians is peace. God comes, he brings peace. And then there's this whole other thing that we learn. It's about confidence. As I said, I'm shy, but God gives me confidence. You know, so there, there's, there's things that happen in us that aren't just the externals when we say yes to him, when he drags us, when he follows us, when he catches us. It isn't just an external uplift that we get, but there's an internal work that goes on in each one of us. And whatever you lack, whatever you lack, he can provide. That whole sense, you know, one of the most beautiful things, I, was, I didn't talk about this at all today. One of the most beautiful things that ever happened to me was I, and this is, I believe in Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, right? That God is a father, okay? Can I, and can I just say that God has been my mother? Jesus, what did Jesus say over Jerusalem? Oh, how I would have gathered you like a mother hen would gather her chicks. God, anything that you lack relationally, God can do it. I have known God as a mother, as well as a father. He has every, the tenderness, the, the holding, the gentleness, the kind of, Brian, you shouldn't really say that, the nudges of phone your brother up. Do you know what I mean? That's sort of, you know, that dads don't always do. I don't know. But, but he's there as a, both as a father and a mother to me. And I just, I just want to put that out there. I, I don't know if anybody struggles with that. And I, I'm not here to get into a big theological thing. It's just my reality. Do you understand? That God could meet you in your lack Anything you lack, God can meet you in it. God, any emotional thing that you, you, you think, I just didn't get that, God's got it. And he wants to give it in bag loads, in encounter, walking with you. <laughs> so, this is my redemption story. My redemption sound is one of encounter. That God is looking for this regular, ongoing encounter with each one of us. He wants to walk in relationship with us. He wants to stand with us. He also wants us not to give up on others who we want to have an encounter with God. Do you understand? You might have been praying for someone for a few years, yeah? And you might be thinking, it's not happening. Is anyone here under 30? Could you put your hand up? I'm not going to embarrass you. Okay, like it's like nearly everybody except me and Tracy and Pete. Right, okay. <laughs> so There's a few of us, don't worry. You're not alone. And... Uh, so, so my other brother, I got an older brother, he, he walked away from the Lord about the same time. He didn't come back to Lord for 31 years, okay? I remember talking to my dad when it happened, saying, oh, isn't it great, brother came back to Lord. And my dad went, I prayed for him every single day. So listen, my dad prayed for longer than some of you have been alive and didn't see anything happen. If it says in Romans 12, therefore do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, one of the patterns of this world is immediacy. Yeah? Got to have it. Got to have it quickly. I do believe in the immediate, the sudden, and the very beautiful things that God does. But there's also something about perseverance. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to hang on. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep calling out to God until I see my friend, my brother, my uncle, my mother, my father encounter and come into relationship with Jesus. I'm not going to give up. We need some of that. You need some of that. The tenacity of hanging on. The ability not to give up. To keep going, to keep going, and to keep going. My dad never gave up. He kept praying. And even when it seemed like nothing was happening, God was haunting, doing his work in the background. So God is looking not only for people to come and encounter him. He's looking for those who will hang on to him so that others may encounter him as well. Does that make sense? That's my story. That's my sound. Thank you for listening to me.